Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a former stand-up comedian and a former depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. And I'm Devlin. And it's been actually quite a while since we recorded, although we've had some pretty great conversations uh, on this show during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually been almost a year since our last episode, so I hope that people are still subscribed. (laughs) Um, And I really hope that people had the opportunity to hear from Ashley Atkinson, who is so thought-provoking and just so fascinating in the way that she talks about how she brought the character Janice to life. And also cult hero and lovely guy Stephen Lynn, (laughs) when we were fortunate enough to realize our dream of having hamburger man on the show that was like mission accomplished (laughs) i I think in some ways it was hard for fans to get closure when the show ended but i truly felt that having connected to hamburger man that i had my own personal closure i certainly agree with that he kind of helped to explain the show in a different way to me um but i think listeners of this show if you haven't already heard those interviews uh they're delightful and they were some real uh highlights of this COVID year for me. So I thought that for this episode, we could talk a bit about what else we've been up to over this last year. Yeah. So it's interesting when you spend so much time watching shows for the purposes of creating content. And then one day you're just locked in your house 24 hours a day and all you have to do is watch TV for your own entertainment. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, it would have been perfect if we had just like waited a year or two and then had all of us time to watch TV. Yeah. Like where was this when I was watching 12 hours of Law and Order in a day? Yeah. Instead we got Tiger King. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever actually watch that? Yeah, I did like at the start of the pandemic when it was trendy. Me too. Although it's sort of upsetting. I, in a way, I wondered why we were all so captivated by it, because it's sort of a horrible story about some seemingly horrible people. Yeah, but that's also what made it so captivating, because the people are practically like movie villains, but they actually are like real people who are just actually movie villains. I mostly hope whatever tigers were left got moved to a nice sanctuary where they could enjoy the rest of their days peacefully. Yeah, yeah. I also worried about the people that worked there. Like, definitely people are like, I think they had found, like, their place, some of them. And, like, it must be really hard to move on from, like, from that world. I remember the one of the people who worked there, like, lost their arm or something. So that's probably especially hard to move on from. Yeah, and just, like, people who they really seem to enjoy this, like, like working with the animals and this really, like, non-traditional kind of employment. So I'm just like, oh... It's probably a real downer to like go look for something else after that. Although it didn't also sound like they were being compensated very fairly. So, <laughs> you know, maybe things are better. I guess we've just got right into it that this is now um, the Tiger King podcast. <laughs> what would that be called? <laughs> um, putting on the spot here. Cub Pod. Uh, Stripecast. <laughs> um, Animal Welfare Concern Hour. Do you have anything better than those jokes? No. <laughs> no, I like the jokes that I have are so bad that I feel like if I say them, I'm going to regret them after. So I'm just not even going to bother. Oh, sure. Let me say all the things I regret. <laughs> then. Thank you for stepping up there. <laughs> well, and I think we thought we would reunite today in advance of the 5 9 anniversary, which is just such a delightful time of year because um, robot Twitter. <laughs> tends to activate um around this time and we thought it would be nice to 
have something to offer to our listeners. And so maybe we should just talk a bit about what we've watched since our time producing the show regularly. Any any favorites that jump out for you? Yeah, I also thought that it would be great to talk about what kind of shows or other media, maybe like podcasts, we've um, started to watch or listen to to fill the void that Mr. Robot has left. But one thing that's so challenging about that is that it's such like a niche show that nothing else really compares to it in the same way. No, like I think there are features of other shows that might appeal to people who liked Robot, but it's also, I don't think the Robot fandom is a monolith. Like I think people like different aspects of the show and different characters within the show. So some of these suggestions might appeal to people and others might not, but um, you know, as media connoisseurs, we can at least offer a few thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think as far as the media connoisseur title goes, I think that you win for having your Law & Order podcast too. I think that you've recorded like 400 more hours than I have. Well, um, Law & Order and also Diet Cast. I was thinking about the show Dietland yesterday. Oh yeah, that's um, such an amazing uh, season that they had. And really, sadly, just one season where... The book um, by Sarai Walker, um, Dietland, is really an interesting tale of women's revenge in many ways um, and a sort of unorthodox healing methods <laughs> from <laughs> women's trauma, uh, individual and collective. And I just thought it was a really f- interesting show, like very different than anything else on TV. So I was sad that we only had one season of that one. Yeah, me too. I think actually that like, in some ways, it does have similarities with Robot in the sense that it's kind of like, left leaning politically, it's all very subversive and it has like an underground group of activists. So I, I also really enjoyed um, that series and I wish it had um, extended for longer. I do believe though that um, Sarah Walker, if I'm pronouncing her name right, does have another book in the works though. So maybe it'll be um, a nice follow up to that. I believe that she does. And I think from her Twitter, she's indicated that it's quite a different book, but that it will appeal to many of the readers who love Dietland as well. So I'm really curious to see what she's going to do next. And also Joy Nash, who is the lead in the show. I'd love to see her in anything. I just thought she was like, so compelling um, in the role of Plum. Um, and yeah, I just think it'd be really fun to see whatever her next project might be. Absolutely. I wish that she tweeted more because when she does, she's a real gem, but it's not frequent enough. Um, Jen Ponson, who was another one of the stars of that show, also um, has, a, has a really cool podcast. I only started subscribing to it like a few weeks ago, so I've only heard a handful of episodes. But um, it's nice that there's something that's like actively being produced that you can still subscribe and listen to. And Jen Ponson was on our podcast, um, which was so gracious and cool of her, um, as well as Melissa Navia. So if you're looking for a television show and a podcast and then accompany it, uh, Dietcast uh, was the show that I made um, for Dietland, the one season with um, my uh, former comedy collaborator, uh, Susie Taka. I remember that when that show was airing, um, I was in Las Vegas for DEF CON. So that's like an association that I have with that show. When do you think we'll be able to go back to Las Vegas? Good question. You know, I'm pretty sure that it's actually pretty busy there from what I've heard. Like there already are a lot of tourists coming back. 
but um, I don't know if DEF CON will like ever be the same because I'm kind of thinking that a lot of it will be um, online. Um, for a bit of context about this, um, I've been to DEF CON twice. Um, Aaron came with me in 2019, like the last one before the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I, I really can't wait to go again because it's such like a unique experience and it's cool to see all of the people who normally just associate with like Twitter avatars. Well, and interesting to think about how concepts behind hacking and all the different ways that hackers find and use information has such a broad reach. I'm certainly not in the tech world, but I found it a fascinating glimpse into how other people approach the same problems I might approach in different ways. So, but you know, I have to say DEFCON's about 25,000 people. I think it's going to be a really long time before hanging out with 25,000 people seems normal again. Yeah, no kidding. Things really can change so fast. And I was actually thinking of this um, at the beginning of the episode when we noted that we're now a former stand-up comedian and a formerly depressive hacker. I mean, still hacker, but only formerly depressive. And it just was... Um, it's kind of cool to like compare and contrast how things have changed so much since then. Exactly. It's only been about a year, um, as we said, since our last episode. But I think what a lot of us saw this year is that the your life as you know it can be upended pretty quickly. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the best cases, I think we take it as an opportunity to think about how our world could be better and could look different coming out of a crisis like this. Did you see Sam Esmail's tweet about how um, 2020 was the season five of Mr. Robot? I did. And I thought it feels true. Like it feels like the, the absolute low point in the story, you know, before you can start resolving the conflict and moving towards the end. But actually that, um, I think saying that leads me into one of the shows that I really enjoyed this past year was the HBO series uh, Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. That was another one of those ones that really kind of took over the public consciousness for a while. I went through that in like one night, I believe. <laughs> me too. And so it was interesting to me from the perspective of like, that's the motherland. But interesting in that it's also a story that you can extrapolate in a universal way about what happens when a government lies to its people. Mm-hmm. And I guess there are so many um, points of that story that still are reflected today. Not just there, definitely still there, but kind of with all governments, really, to some extent. Well, and it being released, I think, in particular during Trump's presidency and as things in the U.S. were looking very bleak, I think for that show to come out, that was a cautionary tale about things you know, we think of that happened 40 years ago, but that we can also see echoes of happening around us in the present day. It was a, I don't know, it was a weirdly prescient show. <laughs> like, um, Although one thing I'll say for, and maybe folks know this or don't, but they actually, the woman scientist character was kind of a composite character that they created. She's fictional because they, I think reflecting on it, thought, Ugh, like another story about all men <laughs> like do we even want to tell that so they kind of created this one f composite woman to stand in for 
women who could have participated in that story if it were a different world. I guess I guess that is good, but it also feels kind of like tokenistic when you put it that way. <laughs> I was of mixed opinions about it, where I thought, is it better to not see any women reflected in the story because effectively they would have been shut out of that story in roles of being a scientist or a decision maker. Um, like the only other women in the story are really people's wives and family members. Um, and I, that would be more real. Um, but given that I think they're taking a bit of creative liberty in saying, Ugh, but we also want to be able to acknowledge that they could have participated in this way. I think it raises some interesting questions for me, but I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I liked or disliked them. What you said reminds me of um, this. I think um, a Ukrainian computer scientist who was um, responsible for the a programming language called Address, and I don't think like it's very used like anymore to, to any extent really, but it had like some revolutionary ideas at the time because um, it had um, the concept of pointers, which it like which Address basically means. Not to get into the, the whole nitty gritty of that, but. Um, it basically was like um, of a, a woman who made it, but because it happened in the Soviet Union, there wasn't any publication about it. And it basically um, led to her being overlooked as a pioneer of computer science, even though she had invented something that became like foundational for everything that came after. It just was done in secret. So what you said kind of made me think about that and how... Um, especially at the time, like women were in those roles or weren't publicly acknowledged in that way. And the person who wrote that programming language, to, I think it, it's good to use their name if I'm pronouncing it right, is um, Katrina Yevchenko. So it's like a name that nobody knows, but um, again, like extremely influential. I'm glad that you shared that because I think it is interesting to learn about those people who whose accomplishments weren't uh, celebrated or acknowledged, whether because of, um, you know, barriers within their own nation or as casualties of conflict between nations. So I think that's, I think that's nice to use her name and learn a little bit about her. In her Wikipedia article, which I was like reading from to cite that, her picture has like a serious scowl on it that just looks like, uh, well, I feel like I'm being rude or stereotypical now, but she definitely feels kind of like a Ukrainian grandmother to me. <laughs> Aw, I hope one day I'll have that scout too. <laughs> so besides that, what are some things that you've been watching? Well, another show that we've been watching together, um, it's actually a comedy. So it's much different than the like deep, intense drama of Mr. Robot. But um, Superstore has been a show that's like, just reliably always lifted my moods. It's nice to always have something that's like consistently relaxing and funny in that way. The problem is that I like watched so much of it that I needed to take a break from it for a while to like reset my tolerance. <laughs> now, Superstore, although it's a comedy, also delves into some interesting political issues. Was there anything that jumped out at you in those storylines? Um, well, one thing that I do notice about it is that the way they have um, like corporate always being the villain. Um, that's another thing that kind of gives it like that underdog feeling that also might've come from Mr. Robot and Dialand because it is a show that like doesn't really hold back in its criticism of the corporate environment that they're living in. 
Um, how do you feel about it? I think it's a good point because you see their efforts to organize themselves and there's a strong union storyline through the show um, and the different interventions that corporate rolls out. Actually, one of my very favorite scenes in the show is the role when they're role playing as union organizers. I don't think I've ever seen actually. Uh, it's really just a hilarious scene because Dina is the best character in the show. Um, <laughs> she participates in it. So you do see, I think, the subtle and overt influence of corporate um, on their lives. And maybe it's like when people say New York City is a character in the show, like corporate is a character in the show. One thing I thought was unique about that was that there is a storyline about undocumented workers in America that runs through all of the seasons. And I just don't think I've ever seen that addressed in a television show before and certainly not in a comedy. Yeah. And um, I think like you were saying, it is a comedy show, but it does have um, some depictions of like very serious ideas and situations. And I noticed that at different times they use the... Um, the subject of him being undocumented for comedy or for drama, like depending on the episode. I do also think it's just a funny show. Um, Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall, if you grew up in Canada in the 90s, um, you probably know very well who Mark McKinney is. Um, he's hilarious as their sort of inept but good-hearted boss. Um, America Ferreira, uh, who's a producer on the show as well and is also in the lead role, um, just a really funny ensemble cast. Um, and I think, especially in a time when I think everyone is talking about essential workers and what their jobs and lives are like, it was nice to see some content that centered around their lives and experiences. Yeah. I also think um, not to change the subject too much, but it does have a lot of queer representation too. In fact, now that I think about it, like, a quarter of the characters are gay, I think. So it's definitely a lot of them in comparison to other shows. You know what? One podcast I intermittently listen to, I actually find that I rarely listen to podcasts now that I don't spend time commuting. But one that you got me into is the gayest episode ever. I absolutely love that podcast. Um, we should probably like put together a list of all the things we're calling it so you can put it in the show notes. But what is so amazing about that podcast is that they... Um, take like the very special episodes that discuss queer issues and all kinds of sitcoms and talk about them like at pretty good detail. Um, and it's not just focused on one series. It's like one episode from many different series. I really like that it does reach pretty far back. So you can hear episodes about some classic sitcoms like the golden girls or Roseanne, but they also, are covering brand new shows like The Great North, which is one of my recent favorites. Yeah, um, before we get into The Great North, I just want to give one more shout out about Superstore, which is that um, you're saying that Dina is one of your favorite characters portrayed by Lauren Ash, and she has a podcast called um, True Crime and Cocktails, which is about like what it sounds like, and um, it's recorded with her sister, and they have like such great chemistry that you can almost... Um, like feel like you're there with them sometimes they do sound a lot alike so it gets confusing though which one's which at times but 
yeah, like because Zena is so good, it's nice to see more um, of Lauren Ash's work. I also think it's nice to see siblings make projects together. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder if we should finally like make that part of our Twitter bio or something now that I don't think it's like a spoiler anymore that we are related because I don't think that we like played that off as much as we could have at times. <laughs> yeah. Brought to you by sibling hosts, Aaron and Del. <laughs> <laughs> that could be our new tagline now that we've retired from our former tagline. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, you were talking about, um, you were changing the subject or something. Uh, I was, but I didn't want to move on too quickly, but one show I find lately I rewatch a lot of shows and I also really welcome light, funny stories about good people and where nice things happen to them. And so one of the shows that I really liked for that is The Great North. Have you watched any of it? Yes, yes. I remember um, you, what you were talking about now. And I've, I've seen the first three episodes, I think. And I understand it's not a very long season. But um, I think I, I really like it so far. And you're right that it is just like, it's kind of like a joyful series, <laughs> maybe, compared to like some other shows I think we're going to talk about, like Bojack Horseman, which is like, the exact opposite in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Just those two kind of balance each other out. Or like my first watch of Breaking Bad, which I did last at the beginning of the pandemic last March. Oh yeah, I remember that. But the Great North, it's kind of about living in an odd place in the way that King of the Hill is kind of about living in Texas, but it's not knocking it. Yeah, and maybe it also has some particular appeal to us because like we're from Canada. <laughs> so it like <laughs> It feels at times like the wilderness that I grew up in. (laughs) Yeah, and I've spent a little bit of time up in the Yukon. And so, yeah, these sort of remote places where things that seem ordinary when you live in a city are not easily done or ordinary there. And so it just changes the way you live. And people have to be a bit more interconnected because they're small communities where like you could literally freeze to death on the side of the road if your car broke down. <laughs> Aren't those also the places where like you drive around with a shotgun in case there are bears? <laughs> yeah. Um, bear spray is a popular animal repellent <laughs> that people sometimes care. I think it's like mace. Um, so it's, it's a nice show. It's a family show. Nick Offerman um, is the dad. Uh, Aparna Nanchurla, who's a comedian I really love plays one of the children. I like it. Their lives are not perfect. Their world isn't perfect, but they make the best of it. And it is a joyful kind of a show. So I recommend that for a, the episodes are short. They're cheerful. Um, it's weird, weird in the best way. <laughs> I really think it's fun. Um, yeah. I think that you said that you got to watching Breaking Bad over the last year, but I'm also thinking that, you mentioned King of the Hill. And if I remember right, like you went through that series through the pandemic as well. Yes. And I think you were really a person who encouraged me to watch that series that I'd kind of overlooked when it was originally airing. Why did you think I would like it? <laughs> well, you can say that I encourage you to watch it in the sense that like I quoted it all the time because it's half of my vocabulary <laughs> because I've memorized every line from that show. But um, I think that I like the the subtlety of the humor in it compared to like the Simpsons, which is the thing that I was comparing it to judging by like the style of the show at the time they came out. I watched the Simpsons and King of the Hill a lot um, as a child. And it really like takes me back to them. 
But I think that in addition to that, I kind of like how it it kind of like lampoons leftists politically, but in a way that's like where you're like not even mad because it's so accurate. So I think I like that because it's good to like keep your ego in check a little bit that way. Although um, I'm concerned that um, there's there's rumors about um, a continuation of this show, but Mike Judge has um, kind of like, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to piss anybody off by saying this, but he's like said some objectionable things um since uh since king of the hill since king of the hill airs so i'm afraid that if it were to come back it would retain the characteristic of like making fun of liberals but it will probably be more mean-spirited and i don't really want to see that happen in case it like tarnishes my memory of it that would be like when the connors was created as a spin-off of roseanne because roseanne had lost her mind it's exactly like that, actually. Yeah, and where like you have to like turn your back on someone you admired so much as a young person. <laughs> I'm just projecting now about my Roseanne trauma, but would the continuation of the series be Bobby as an adult? Do you think? That's what I've heard. Yeah, that it's supposed to be like aged up characters. Um, unfortunately, um, Brittany Murphy and Tom Petty have both passed on, so those characters would have to be like retconned or explained away somehow. That's, um, I think that they have like, uh, Pamela Alden or whatever. I think her name is the place Bobby would be coming back. Um, and yeah, I think that would be great. Um, one of the other things that I, um, love about King of the Hill is like, I, I guess there's a podcast for everything. I was saying that there are a lot of podcasts that I've been listening to as well, but a podcast called Ho oh Yeah, which is like two women who review, um, the episodes of King of the Hill. And they're so, so funny that I, I look forward to the new episodes coming out every Tuesday. And it's the first one that I listen to. I feel like I've also like made friends just over talking about that podcast. So really big shout out there. That podcast is hilarious. I don't remember how we started listening to it, but their critique is so funny. And their rapport, the two hosts is delightful like they're genuinely having a good time talking about the episodes and i just think those women are so funny yes yes a lot of poop jokes though so you gotta know what you're getting into <laughs> now here's a question for you so you know 20 years later what do you think dale gribbles up to huh that's a good question you know like i feel if you were to be alive today they would probably have like a QAnon storyline and I'd be really curious how they would play that out. But I feel like they would have to kind of acknowledge that. But that is also a situation where, like, truth is stranger than fiction. So maybe the Dale character wouldn't even be as compelling anymore because, like, the real world has proven to be much more insane than he is. And I could see how that character could kind of be ruined if it were sort of reinterpreted in the way that, like... 9-11 truthers or like other sort of conspiracy theorists have the way their stories have shaped up over the last many years. Like I think he's, I like that he's a generally harmless critical thinker with like a little bit of tinfoil hat in him, but I could be much more cynical. Like I, I like Dale in the show and I don't know if I would like Dale if it were taken in that, I don't know, just more antisocial direction. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that Dale is one of my favorite characters in that show because he's someone who is so like paranoid and skeptical, but simultaneously oblivious. And, you know, maybe that does resonate a bit with me because I can feel like I've done like I've had like many similar um, examples of like being so focused on something that you lose sight of what's actually there. If that makes sense. It does. It does. I think I identify most with Hank where I'm like trying to be a pretty good person and the world is changing. And sometimes you feel like you're a little bit out of step, I guess. Like, and Hank tries really hard. Like I like that Hank is like earnest and effortful and not, not a caricature. I think it'd be really easy to boil him down to like a very two dimensional sort of a person. One thing though is that I'm pretty sure it's like an extraction of a character from Beavis and Butthead, and I never watched that at all. So it's funny that actually I I love King of the Hill and I love Daria, which is another Beavis and Butthead spinoff, but I've never actually seen Beavis and Butthead itself. I think I remember watching it in the '90s, and I don't remember a single character or plot point from it. So I don't know. I remember it's where I learned that meme of like photocopying your butt <laughs> and it's funny that this is where this podcast is going <laughs> but yeah i uh i think it's a really interesting show like and i like that it doesn't it doesn't talk down to people like it's not anti-texas and it's not it's not making fun of the characters as flawed as they might be sometimes even like cotton who's pretty despicable um you know i think they they're all three-dimensional characters with interesting stories and motivations. And I, I did enjoy it. I may watch it. I guess I could watch it again. It's been a year. <laughs> I watch it really often just to like fall asleep to, to be honest. It's one of those shows that I have seen every episode of, and I've watched it probably like a dozen times each episode. Um, Seinfeld was another one of those. I actually just was um, going through my, totally legit blu-ray rips that i purchased <laughs> legally and you can um, be sure of that <laughs> i was all, like when you were talking about how in chernobyl they had the the female character who was like contrived and reminded me that in seinfeld they didn't originally have the elaine character and then people were like hey i don't want to watch this thing that's just dudes and they added elaine for that <laughs> that's so interesting and i wonder if women viewers found her relatable or not I never watched Seinfeld, so I'm at a bit of a loss on this one. She was always my favorite. And I was just watching an um, uh, episode earlier that focuses on her that's called The Big Salad. And it's because it was referenced in um, a recipe video from uh, Sola Elwele, who is making a, like a salad. Uh, it's called Off Script, so it's not really like a recipe. It just is like an experiment, really. But I've also been totally obsessed with uh, Sola and what she's been up to since leaving um Bon Appetit. I guess Bon Appetit is another one of those things that happens at the beginning of the pandemic, where it was kind of um, something that took over all of the public consciousness for a while, and then in this case, kind of exploded dramatically. Yeah, that's true. I remember there was like constant coverage of the implosion of Bon Appetit, but it's nice that some of their talented folks like Sola have found, I think, great new outlets for all of their really cool work. Like there are some people there who do some really neat things. Mm -hmm. I love how Sola has like her own 
like brands empire now <laughs> as a result of that. And um, another person who I haven't seen as much, but who um, I know has a, a series on Food 52 as well is um, Rick Martinez. So that's another, um, <laughs> that's another series that I really like. One thing that's so crazy about the Bon Appetit situation is that there was also a podcast that was investigating what happened there and um, having a lot of interviews with insiders and things like that. And then when that came out, um, this was a podcast called The Test Kitchen on Reply All from Gimlet Media. Um, they also exploded because like, they were making coverage of this implosion at Bon Appetit. And people called them out for having actually many of the same problems that Bon Appetit had. So it was just one of those things where like, not only was it so explosive at Bon Appetit, but even the things around it or like three degrees removed from it are also <laughs> facing the ramifications of it. I mean, I think this was a year where a lot of organizations started to confront systemic racism within their own agencies and just those folks were not immune to it. No kidding. Um, it's also a little disappointing because the company that makes Reply All, Gimlet Media, they also made um, Homecoming, which is a podcast and TV series that I think we both enjoyed. But it kind of makes me think that they're probably not going to continue development on that. Um, because I think that the second season of that came out um, pretty recently and we both watched that. It's different from the first season, but I found it to be pretty enjoyable as well. I think that it didn't have um, Sam Esmail directing, so it had some different cinematography, but it's still really good. I did enjoy Homecoming. Um, the second season is a departure from the first one, so I like that it's it picked up some threads of that original story, but let us see Janelle Monet and Hong Chao and some other really great folks become a part of that story. Um, I had the sense people that weren't as enthusiastic about it as they were the first season of the show, but I think it's absolutely worth watching. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely worth watching. Um, the first season of Homecoming, um, I think that its cinematography is one of the things that really set it apart, especially um, like the trick they pulled with the aspect ratio. If you remember, it has... Um, like the four to three. Oh no, I think it actually said like a square aspect ratio when it was uh, when it was depicting the past. Um, and they didn't do anything like that in the second season. I think that it was more conventionally shot. And that was one of the things that took away from it a little bit because it didn't have um, the same impressive visuals. I think that it also had a, a really good score though, um, which is worth noting because I, I don't actually think it was Matt Quayle, who is like a frequent collaborator with Esmail on um, soundtracks and such. I don't recall who it is, but I just don't think that it was them. I was just going to ask you, was it Matt Quayle? So that's uh, to be determined. I'm looking this up now because I feel like I shouldn't have said that without knowing it. It is an impressive series. The podcast is also great. I really enjoyed it. And I think it was one of the first of these sort of radio drama revival podcast that I listened to and really enjoyed. So I think the show and the podcast are both absolutely worth a listen. What else? What else? Um, so we mentioned I did. I don't know how there are just certain series that, you know, they've been around for decades, but I never managed to watch them. And Breaking Bad was one of those. Yeah. And um, I think that Breaking Bad, although that series itself is over, it still is kind of, 
developing the story because there's Better Call Saul and also um, El Camino came out kind of recently. So it's something that still is um, like in motion in that way. It gave me some peace because for years I had a cat, Walter, Walter White, at the vet's office. And people would always be like, that's so cool. I love that show. And I just nod politely at them because I had no idea what they were talking about. So I now realize that you had the cat first too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I now realize that like my vet probably thought I was like really into meth or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <actually>. criminal syndicates. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think of it that way, but they must have thought you were a big uh, fan. Yeah, definitely. And I mean I am a big Brian Cranston fan now. I watched his new series just recently um that show it's one i don't know about rewatch value but it's a f- truly great story yeah i certainly agree that i haven't rewatched it and um i think that part of that is because it has like a really long detailed narrative and once you've kind of seen it come to a conclusion it's kind of hard to um have the same tension and stuff as you're as you're watching it um, to actually come back to Mr. Robot, I haven't rewatched it with the exception of like some of the really impressive, um, like experimental episodes. Like I've enjoyed watching those ones like on a one-off, um, basis, but I haven't went through it again because I feel like when I know how it ends, like it's not, the questions aren't as compelling anymore. I think I myself wanted a break from it because when you make a show like the one we made, by the time we actually got to recording, I had seen each episode three or four times. Yeah, I guess we've watched it like enough for a while. <laughs> if you do, if you just have like a hankering for robot, um, we do have full season recaps available. And we did a crossover episode with a show called Couch Potatoes Unite as well, looking at the whole series in two episodes. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I I want to think back to certain moments in the show or I've rewatched ones that really explored something about a character so um season four episode three when we get the backstory for minister Zhang and white rose i've rewatched that one um 404 of course i think is a classic you know i don't think there'll ever be resolution for folks about the question of whether or not terrell died but it's a beautiful episode there it's very halloweeny i watched it in the fall like there's a lot of fun stuff i remember also um that we spoke to martin wallstrom like the day after that episode came out so it was crazy to see that and then like have to talk to him right after about it well and it was a bit bewildering in a way too because he had seen um not the final edit but versions before that and of course i think we'd only had the opportunity to watch it once and so there were there were times when he'd say did this make it into the episode yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a pause for us but it was almost surreal it was a very cool timing that the day after it aired we were able to talk to him and get his take on you know what motivated him acting in that farewell episode so that, that was a real highlight to you that was a fun episode to me one of the people who i wish we could have spoken to and hey like maybe it's not too late who knows is um carly chicken because actually one of the episodes that is super impactful to me and I can't watch it because like it'll make me cry is the um the Dom the Dom Lean episode basically with like the Carly Rae Jepsen song 
um that just like makes me burst into tears because it's so emotional <laughs> it made me a carly ray jepson fan yeah yeah me too so yeah but i haven't done a full rewatch and i think i'll give myself even a little more time it's nice first for the world to look less similar to robot before you watch it again <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. yeah and then because it you can notice more details and more nuances in subsequent watches but you don't ever get the big wow factor of those plot twists or all of those revelations mm-hmm. or you know all the time you spent puzzling over what was going to happen next or whether something was real or not you know it takes those sort of out of your experience as a viewer but i wish i could watch it again for the first time that's a great way to put it because um, like I was saying toward the beginning of this episode, like there's nothing else that really scratches the same itch for me. I think um, the closest thing I've come to is um, Westworld. And that's because it also kind of has a lot of motifs about like messing with reality and if like your perception of it is real and consciousness and robots and crap like that. It's actually very interesting. It, its analysis of that is like very, very different because it's almost like a Western type of show than um mr robot which like is a totally different setting um but yeah i think that like it has a bit of similarity in the fact that there are like a lot of twists that really like keep you doubting your perception of the show and that's one of the things that made robots so compelling to me like you never really know if what you're watching is true (laughs) well i think i said this in some of our earlier episodes but i'm such a gullible viewer I never try to puzzle Mm -hmm. it out or get ahead of it. I just like to believe everything as it's put to me and then feel the full weight of my astonishment when I find out it isn't. So it was so satisfying (laughs) for me because it was such a roller coaster when things would, would change and shift in the story. I loved it for that. Like, I think it's a fun show if you're the kind of person who puzzles it out and anticipates plot points too. But for me, just letting it wash over me was such a joy. And I, I, I'll always love this show. Like to me, it's total cult classic. Um, you know, I want to see a lot more from all of the people involved in it, except Ollie. <laughs> oh, maybe the actor is actually great, and we're like sleeping on that. <laughs> I was just gonna say that, although the actor who played Ollie might actually be a very nice person. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to see. They get so much shit. <laughs> I just don't want to see that character get a spinoff. But, you know, I think it would be fun yeah. because I'm just not this kind of person. I think it'd be really fun just to be unlikable like that and not care, like be so <laughs> oblivious. Like, I would just love yeah. to be that guy who doesn't care about how obnoxious they are. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny how resentful we are of Ollie that, like, we didn't even consider reaching out to that actor for an interview. <laughs> like, I think that we just, like, completely blocked him out from our memory, but it would have actually been good to interview him, because he would tell us about what it's like to play that character, who definitely has a role in Mr. Robot that's different from anybody else, because they're, like, a punching bag, basically. I kind of think of them as the opposite side of the coin from Cisco, who also would have been a really important person to talk to, because Cisco is such a catalyst, but he's also a minor character, and he also doesn't survive the full series. Um, but it would be really interesting to hear, you know, what was it like, like to be the dark army, like guy on the inside, <laughs> you know, it's, that's there. Even the minor characters in that show have a lot of depth to them. You know, I know we can find plot holes or glitches and things, but I, I really think it's some good storytelling and I'm glad we had the opportunity to dig so deep into it. 
Um, I agree. I was just reading that um, the actor who plays Ali, his name is Ben Rappaport, who I like. I didn't even know who that was. <laughs> I feel like I need to apologize for being such an asshole. To <laughs> Sorry, Ben Rappaport. We're sure you're a really nice guy. Um, Adam Rappaport is the guy at Bon Appetit who led to the downfall of that place. So I hope that they're not related. <laughs> that would be awkward. In which case, they actually do suck. <laughs> I have to think it's a common-ish name, right? Who knows? Yeah, I'm not even sure if it's spelled the same way. (laughs) Yeah. It could be different. Any other unmissable watches that you've had this year? Or listens, I suppose? Well, one other, though, that I've been, that I watch um, through in, like, one week was um, WandaVision, which is kind of uncharacteristic for me because I don't normally, um, I'm not normally a big fan of uh, MCU, like, superhero movies. But um, this show is... I, I think I've seen it described as, like, Lynchian, where it does have a lot of, like, odd dreamlike things to it that make it kind of weird and interesting. And then toward the end of it, it really, like, comes back into, like, a full-on superhero movie. But I thought that it was cool in how experimental it was. Um, it definitely was, like, unlike a superhero movie or anything like that I've seen before. It's on my list, and it's partly on my list because people have... Actually, maybe you mentioned that it's reminiscent of the 80s sitcom robot episode in certain ways yeah actually that's a great comparison well sorry i just realized i made that comparison so i shouldn't be congratulating (laughs) i think i made a very good point there aaron thank you for thank you for reminding me of that (laughs) aren't i great Um, you are great yeah um but yeah like they um in that series like toward the beginning each episode I think it starts like 1950s and then 60s, 70s, 80s, and so on. And um, each episode like encapsulates that that decade of television. So you can kind of see it like change from starting off in black and white, and um, like by the end of it, I think that they're like I think that they're parodying like Malcolm in the Middle, like the 90s TV shows by the end. So it is kind of cool how it like. Um, condenses all of those eras of television into one episode each. I'm going to have to watch that one. My last plug is a show I revisit often because it's as comforting as it is disturbing to me, but that's Bojack Horseman. Um, and Rami Malek actually plays a character called Flip McVicker in the fifth season of the show. And he's quite a sort of neurotic, insecure, new TV writer. Interesting. Yeah, it's just a fun character to hear him voice. Um, and that show, I mean, aside from, you know, content warning for abusive parents and Many things. substance <laughs> use and other things, um, um, I think is just some of the best writing and joke writing that I've seen on TV in a long time. And even for people who will say animation might not normally be their cup of tea, I really think there's a lot there and it's very rich and there's cameos from a hundred million people that you know and love on TV in there. So it's, it's really worth a watch, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a very heavy story. It's like the anti the great North in a way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it seems like part of the depressing aspect of it is comforting because I guess that maybe some of the things that are in it are, relatable in some ways like obviously like not not relating to anything in particular here but um i feel like sometimes like 
something that you can watch and feel sad is also like a nice place to go sometimes when you just like want to I know explore that and process that so I can imagine it being good for that purpose when I want to process my sadness I watch the series finale of the Americans and I watch the garage scene and I don't I don't know if I should be worried about spoiling the Americans which wrapped up years ago now on TV but um the garage scene like I would like to write one thing as good as that garage scene in my lifetime I just that's uh that's my go-to feel of feeling episode of TV I haven't seen that but I feel like now is actually a good time for me to get into it because I do have um like an empty empty spot for more television um I thought you were going to be talking about Breaking Bad when you said the garage scene because there's like that pivotal moment with uh Hank and Walter maybe just a lot of really great TV moments take place in garages. And that's the key. I should just think <laughs> about what happens between people in garages more often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird how you don't spend that much time there, but yeah, <laughs> but I guess it does. <laughs> but as a writing prompt, it's gold. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's been really nice to catch up on this, uh, TV specific episode. Um, and we of course want to thank everyone who, still downloads and listens to our show, even though Mr. Robots went off the air for some time, we really appreciate your support and your engagement. And even though we infrequently monitor our Twitter account these days, uh, we do eventually see tweets and messages from you. So thank you so much for um, being a part of this project. Uh huh. I really appreciate how, um, even though we're not producing episodes about Mr. Robot, we can still kind of use this as um, a jumping off point for the projects and other things that we find interesting that we're working on um unfortunately producer dave is not joining us right now he's probably going to hear this later when he's producing this though so hi dave <laughs> what's up um he's also got um uh, a podcast that we can link to as well because then you can follow him uh follow him there for even more podcasting stuff exactly and so by following our mr rewatch account and also our individual accounts you'll be the first to know when we've got new things in the works um, and until then, you know, happy five, nine, happy five, nine. Thank you for uh, reminding me of it this year. <laughs> I always uh, forget about it. It's, it's like mother's day. Maybe we should edit <laughs> that part out in case our mother listens to this. <laughs> um, I admit that even though it's a pivotal point in the show, every single year, May, you know, eighth, we'd be in the group chat being like, Oh no, <laughs> what are we going to do about five, nine? <laughs> so yeah. we're, uh, we're happy to be in front of it this year. Um, well, I think we'll be able to compile an excellent list of recommendations for, for Mr. Rewatch listeners now. Yeah. And we would definitely appreciate some more recommendations from listeners to this as well. And maybe we can retweet those or get some inspiration about things to watch in the future because I've got the Americans on my list now. That's for sure. Thanks for listening to Mr. Rewatch. It's been a pleasure to reunite with you for 5-9. Thanks again for listening. Bonsoir. <laughs>